Thank you, choir and praise band, Mitzi, Marsha. That was just, I, lo- I, I love worshiping. Uh, I love worshiping with them and with you. Uh, it's just such a joy. It brings a joy to my heart uh, to know that you know, we are worshiping a God who redeems us, knows our name, and is with us in all of our circumstances. Uh, this morning, uh, let me invite you to turn in uh, your Bible to John chapter 7. Uh, we continue just to walk through our Come and See series, working through the Gospel of John with the purpose of come and see Jesus so that you would believe, so that you would believe and that by believing you would have eternal life. And while you're turning there to John 7, uh, two things <clears throat> that I need to also share with you next Sunday, uh, we will have deacon ordination. Uh, Sammy and uh, Alex uh, will be ordained as deacons next Sunday uh, during our service. So I encourage you to come and be a part of that and be in prayer for them. And also, I want to just let you know, homecoming will be here the second Sunday in October. Uh, Pastor David Phelps uh, will be coming uh, to deliver our homecoming message. So I'm real excited uh, to get to meet him. I've talked to him on the phone. He's a funny guy. Uh, yeah, he's a fun guy. Uh, and so we're excited to have him coming back. Uh, I think he was preacher in the 90s, I think, a long time ago. Maybe not so much for some of you. But, you know, that's when I was coming into my own, was in the 90s. So uh, it'll be exciting uh, to have him back and worshiping with us and uh, sharing what God has put upon his heart the second Sunday of November. Second Sunday of November. John chapter 7. I titled this message, The Education of Jesus. Because what we really learn is more about Jesus, who he is, what he's doing. We also are going to learn about the growing opposition to Jesus that we began to saw last week. But I honestly could not help, as I was looking at this, thinking about the education of Ernest E. Bass. Right? Now, it has nothing to do with this passage of Scripture. But as I was just looking at the education of Jesus and what he's saying, I'm like, that's one of my favorite Andy Griffin episodes. Where he fall, that's the one I think. I think I've got it right. He falls in love with... Uh, El- not Ellie. What? Ellen. Helen. Helen. Andy had so many girlfriends, you know, it's hard to know. He falls in love with Helen and uh, the education of Ernest E. Bass, and we really are going to talk about the education of Jesus, because he actually, if you remember last week, his brothers were saying, hey, it's time for you to go public, I mean to go real public, take the show on the road, is what we saw last week. Uh, His brothers were urging him to go to Jerusalem and make himself known as the Messiah, because this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, And I want you to keep that context as we go through these next several chapters. The heartbeat of 7, 8, and 9 really revolves around the Feast of Tabernacles. And we'll learn more about the feast as we go through, but just the, the basic general idea is this is the celebration of all celebrations. You know, they've got Passover, they've got Pentecost, and there's different things they remember, but the Feast of Booths is the energy in Jerusalem is electric. App State, Carolina yesterday, right? Electric environment. That's Jerusalem during the Feast of the Booths. And because they're remembering their past, they're thankful for the olive harvest that they've just received and the other fruits, and they're looking forward to a Messiah. And what they do, if you remember, they live in tents for a week. They build these little hut structures, these little booths or these uh, little things, and it, it, re, it helps them to remember the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness where they were in these makeshift tents. And so it's a festival that is filled with joy, and what better time 
for Jesus to go back to Jerusalem. Remember, it's been a year since he's been there. To go back to Jerusalem and say, you know what? The Messiah is here. But last week we saw Jesus declined. He said, it's not my time because he follows God's perfect timing of the events. And we didn't go into depth into verse 10 last week, but we noticed his brothers went. And then after that, Jesus does go to the temple or he does go to Jerusalem for the festival. And some of us might be thinking, well, why did he go in secret? And just to remind you, if Jesus would have showed up during a celebration this big with people already knowing about his miracles, and you see that at the, in kind of 10, 11, 12, 13, the people are talking about him. If he shows up to this celebration publicly, then you have a premature, a grand entrance to Jerusalem. You have this premature Palm Sunday that's not quite ready to happen. So Jesus secretively goes, and he spends a few days celebrating. If you pick up in verse 14, it's where we're at today, when the festival was already half over. So day three, four, five, somewhere in there of the festival, Jesus decides to go into the temple, and he began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he has not been trained? So halfway through the festival, Jesus does what a lot of the rabbis of the day do. They would have gone into the temple court, probably the court of the Gentiles, and they would have set up shop. And you, you would have had Jesus over here teaching to a large crowd, maybe another guy over here teaching. The rabbis would just have go and they would be teaching. This is not anything unorthodox or out of the realm of thinking. Jesus isn't so far doing anything new. He's doing what rabbis do. He's going to teach. Uh, and so in God's timing, it, he kind of does go public. And so he's teaching. And, and, and how awesome would it have been to have been there? I mean, to hear Jesus teach on this festival about these events, and Jesus' teaching is fresh, it's new, and it's filled with authority. We know that by reading the other Gospels. Uh, and I say it's fresh because here's kind of the rabbi template of the day. Uh, they did not value original thinking like we would. In fact, plagiarism was a norm for the rabbis. Now, if you're in college... That's a no-no. But for them, to quote another rabbi, whether you cited it or not, that was what was acceptable teaching. To show up and say, well, many years ago, this guy said this, and I'm just going to parrot it. You know, it's just echoing and parroting everything that has been taught for centuries and centuries, or decades and decades and decades. They're just echoing it. And so when Jesus shows up, he's got fresh teachings. He's got new ideas. He's original. He's not quoting the famous rabbis of the past. He's not doing what the other rabbis are doing. And that causes some problems. Now, we talk a lot about Jesus as the Lamb of God, the gentle Lamb of God, full of grace and mercy and love. And I think what we see on display as we walk through this passage is we're going to see the Lion of Judah roar a little bit because he's going to confront these religious leaders and he's really going to call them out. Uh, in front of everybody, by the way. And I love that. I love that. So that's kind of the setting. He's teaching. The Jewish leaders are like, how has this guy learned? He didn't go sit under that rabbi. He didn't go sit under that rabbi. He doesn't have a diploma, right? Now, uh, you need to listen. Students, children, 
You're going to have to stay with me through this whole section because I don't want you waking up Tuesday morning and be like, Jesus didn't go to school, so I don't have to go to school, right? So just stay with me because Jesus is going to look at these religious leaders. He's like, you know what, guys? You're right. I didn't study under one of your rabbis. I've got a diploma that's from a divine origin. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but it is from the one who sent me. Basically, he's saying right there, I teach what I teach because God told me to teach it. We have to remember, uh, we have the ability to look back at John chapter 1 and say that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is God. He is the incarnate of deity. Everything about him just pours divine. His words, every word that comes out of his mouth is the Word of God. So everything he says, all these quote-unquote new ideas, they're not new ideas. They're originating from an eternal God who has always existed. But these religious leaders don't know that, and we'll see why in a minute. So his teaching is not his own, it is from God. His, he's got this divine diploma where everything he says is exactly what God wants him to say. So he's claiming authority. In verse 17, if anyone wants to do his will, to, if anyone wants to do the will of God, it's pretty heavy right here. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, when we just read this in these pages, it seems very tame. But Jesus is really getting in these religious leaders' face. Again, he's looking at them and he is saying, if anyone wants to do the will of God, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Here's what he's saying. He's looking at these religious leaders and he's saying, you have no idea what the will of God is because you don't want to know what the will of God is. Knowing the will of God starts by a willingness to know it. Now we've all been here. We've all sat through that geometry class. You really didn't want to learn geometry? Pi r squared? Well, pi are actually round, not squared, but that's okay. I'm going to let that one settle just a little bit. Okay? Pi are not square, pi are round. Some of you are going to be eating pie at family house this afternoon. You're like, oh, I get it. You know, it's... But we've sit in geometry class. And we're like, I don't want to be here. I don't care about this. I don't want to learn it. We've all sat in other classes. We sit teachers. Um, I'm not going to call you out workshops before school that you don't want to be at, teaching you things that you really don't care about, mm -hmm. lesson planning while the speaker's working, right? We know, and the whole point of that, <laughs> all right, I'll call myself out. Christian or no, Christian philosophy, logic, I didn't want to know that. And that was a night class, I slept in the back. So whenever you want me to debate something, just know when I mess, mess up, I slept through philosophy, okay? Because I didn't want to be there. But, but, now well, follow me here. I can tell you everything about the Carolina Panthers <laughs> because I want to know everything about the Carolina Panthers. I can, 
I want to know about the Bible. I'm a pastor, right? So biblical theology, Greek, man, I soaked up the Greek classes I took because I wanted to be there. When we want to know something, we pour our hearts into it. We pour our life into it. And what Jesus is saying here is you don't pour your life into knowing God. And so you don't know the will of God. If you really, truly poured your life into knowing who God really was, if you really, really wanted to know him, then you would know who I am. And you would know that I am speaking truth. And here's the response from the religious leaders. We don't see it in the text, but I promise you, here's what they're thinking. Are you, he's like, are you kidding me, Jesus? I've memorized the whole Bible. I'm living, I left my nice little cottage on a hill to live in a tent for a week. Don't tell me I don't want to know God. I've, you know, I've memorized scripture. I, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Sadducee. I'm a priest. I've spent my whole life doing this. I studied under a rabbi. Don't tell me I don't know God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, another familiar story to us is, on the outside, you're just a whitewashed tomb because on the inside, you're as dead as can be. Your little tent looks good. Your little prayers that you pray on the corner sound good. But on the inside, your heart has no desire to know the will of God. And here's why, and I think he answers the question why in verse 18. He says, the one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory. These Pharisees are seeking their own glory. They want people to talk how, how good they are, how nice they're dressed. I bet, I bet they get together and I'd be like, hey, I'm just going to make these names up. Tobias, you know, my tent's better than your, I mean, not better. My little tent for the festival, it's worse than your tent. See, when I built my tent, I put a little hole in the roof. So if it ever rains in the desert, my roof will leak. Did you put a hole in your roof? See, they're, they're trying to rough it. Okay, whoever roughs it the best. You know, they're bragging about it. You know, they're probably uh, on the tops of their houses with the worst-looking tent, and they're, look how bad I'm living. And then this festival ends, and they're like, look how nice I'm dressed. Look how, look how eloquent my words are. Look how much I know. But their hearts are as dead as can be because all they desire is the glory of man. I think we have pastors like this who just want to be touted by men. They want to have 20,000 people stare at them every weekend and say how good they are. And not just pastors. I think we have a lot of Christians who walk around. It's like, look how, now I got a big Bible, but it's because I can't see like I used to. But they're walking around, like, look how big my Bible is. My Bible's bigger than yours. How many books of the Bible have you memorized? They want glory. I said, I told my Sunday school this, I, I go to these pastors conferences and things and one thing that drives me crazy is when pastors start talking nickels and noses you know, how much money their church is bringing in and how many people they're bringing in but what drives me more crazy is that is the statement that usually goes like this yeah when I started at that church they only had about 50 people now because I've been there we've done some things we got 150 now looks good on the outside doesn't it but I wonder if their hearts are truly alive I wonder if they're truly humble because Jesus says that he has come to seek the glory of God not the glory of men that he speaks what God wants him to because he doesn't want fame he doesn't want fortune he doesn't want people to just stare at him and say look how awesome that miracle is 
although that does bring glory to God. What he wants is people to say, there's the Savior. There's my Messiah. There's the one who came to forgive me of my sins. That brings glory to God, not to man. And so he, he, he's in their face. He's saying that it doesn't matter how much education they have because their heart's not in the right place. Their heart does not desire to follow the Lord. Now, I'll, I'll say this. There are people who say, well, I don't need an education because Jesus didn't have an education. My response to that is you're not Jesus, right? You're not Jesus, we don't have a divine diploma. And so, again, young people, don't wake up Tuesday and be like, Jesus didn't go to school. Well, I don't know how to go to school. Education is important. Learning and studying and memorizing Scripture and being close to God is vitally important. And we have to study it, and we have to grow, and we have to learn. But are we learning because we have a heart that desires to know God? Do we pick up our Bible every day and ask the question, how can I know God better today than I did yesterday? Or do we pick up our Bible and just check it off? How much can I read today just to get done with the task? We have to have a heart and a desire to know God. And so, so Jesus is now going to continue this line of thinking in verse 19. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. These are the guys who keep the law perfectly in their own minds. And he just, he says, why? Moses gave it to you, but you don't keep it. He says, if you're trying to kill me, go back to the end of chapter five. He healed on the Sabbath, they try to kill him. And so there's a lot of the crowds who think Jesus is possessed by a demon because they don't understand all the story and the ins and outs. And they're like, well, who's trying to kill you? And then Jesus doesn't really answer the question. Verse 21, he goes, I performed one work and you are amazed, Jesus answered. This is why, and that, he's talking about the healing on the Sabbath, verse 22. This is why Moses gave you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from our fathers. And if the circumcision of man, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, and you're angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath. So here's what he's saying. Again, calling them out. They don't have a heart to know God's will. They don't have a heart to do what God has called them to do. And he uses an example that, you know, your man-made laws, not the Bible, your man-made, 600 and something man-made laws, says that you can't heal a man on the Sabbath if that's a sin. And it says you can't do really any kind of work and that really circumcision would be sinful if done on the Sabbath, but... If an eight-year-old or an eight-day-old child, if his eighth-day birthday falls on the Sabbath, you circumcise him. Because circumcision is more important than keeping the Sabbath in their minds. So you will violate your man-made laws when it suits you. Do you see the hypocrisy in what they're doing? They're just making it up as they go. It's okay to circumcise on the eighth day, even though it violates what our man-made law says. And Jesus goes, I healed somebody. I made somebody completely well, and you want to kill me. Essentially is this, 
They cut somebody and hurt somebody, and it's okay on the Sabbath. Jesus helps and heals somebody, and it's not okay on the Sabbath. You see the hypocrisy? It's the hypocrisy that, again, points Jesus to this understanding they really don't desire to do God's will because if they desire to do God's will, then they would love people like God loved people. They wouldn't be so legalistic in their thinking. Hypocrisy is something that kills our churches, isn't it? The hypocrisy of Christian. Now, to an extent, I think the church should be filled with hypocrites. To an extent, we're all sinners, right? It's impossible for us to perfectly keep God's law. And so to an extent, when someone says, well, I'm not going to go to church because all the hypocrites, I'm like, well, well yeah, we're sinners. And so it's, we obviously are going to be hypocritical in a way. But this hypocrisy is judgmental. This hypocrisy says, I won't remove the plank from my eye because I'm focused about the little speck in your eye. This is the hypocrisy that is killing our churches. And it's killing the people of this day as well. And so verse 24, Jesus says, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to a righteous judgment. What he says, stop judging people based on what you see on the outside and look at their hearts. Look at their hearts. Stop the hypocrisy. Stop the glory-seeking practices and examine your hearts. So my question to you this morning is, what is your heart like? Are you seeking Jesus because you love him and desire to know more about him? What kind of follower are you? Are you a follower that we've already seen leave Jesus because you just wanted food back at the end of chapter six? Or do you truly have a desire to know the heart of God? Because here's what I want to tell you. When you are truly in your heart of hearts seeking as earnestly and as hard as you can to know God, then you'll know what's true and what's false. In a world where we don't know a lot about truth and false anymore, when you earnestly seek God, he will tell you what is true, what is right, and what is wrong. But you have to want it. Wanting leads to knowing. Wanting leads to knowing. So how's your heart this morning? Where are you struggling this morning? How's your study of Scripture going? All things I want you to think and reflect upon today and this week. Maybe we need God to do a little heart surgery on all of us so that we can truly seek Him the way He wants us to seek Him. Let's pray together. Father, we... Thank you for teaching us through your word. Father, we know when we open up the pages of scripture, no matter where it is from Genesis to Revelation, that there is something in there to teach us, a principle that you want to uh, put deep into our hearts. And Father, I pray that we would have a deep, deep desire to know more about you. That we wouldn't study just because we feel like we have to, but because we want to. I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would convict all of us in the areas where we have failed to do this, where we have failed to treat others the way you want us to treat them. 
Help us to be more like Jesus each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.